Hello, and welcome to the Enterprise Endpoint Experts Podcast, E-Cubed. I'm your host, Bill Burnett, and with me this morning is our co-host, Amy Casto. Good morning, Amy. Hey, Bill. How's it going? Good, good. And our guest today is Jason Snook from Flexera, formerly Flexera Software. Good morning, Jason. <laughs> good morning, Bill, and good morning, Amy. Yeah, so I assume nobody gets confused. Hey, you're with Flexera. <laughs> <laughs> Are they related to Flexera software? <laughs> I haven't had that question yet. So seems unlikely. Uh, I think I think everyone knows. Yeah, I think everyone was calling us Flexera for a long time before we decided to call ourselves that. So, and what do you do there? What What is your title? Um, so I am a, a senior solutions uh, engineer at Flexera, um, and I've been with Flexera for a little over four years. Uh, started off in our professional services group, um, spent some time in product management, and uh, recently moved over to the solution engineering side of the house. Awesome. And you, you're a, I know we're going to talk today about asset lifecycle management and security and Windows 10 and a lot of good stuff. But before we do, uh, you're a landscape photographer, is that right? Yes, uh, it's a hobby I picked up um, probably around four or five years ago. Uh, so, you know, I, as I mentioned, I started off as Luxera as a, a professional services consultant. And prior to that, I was actually doing uh, consulting work, uh, a lot of subcontracting work for Microsoft doing like a CCI implementation. Um, and one of the things I found is, you know, if I wasn't working at night, you're sitting in a hotel, you're bored, trying to figure out something to do. Uh, and I was trying to find a, a great hobby that would travel well. And uh, one of the project managers I was working with uh, was into photography and started uh, spending some time with him and going out with him, um, you know, after work and taking pictures of things and uh, just really kind of developing the hobby from there. So did you end up getting really heavy into the tech and spending a ton of money on equipment? Uh, I wouldn't say a ton of money. I would say middle of the road. <laughs> Fair um, enough. <laughs> you, can, you can get really expensive really quick. Um, you know, I... I uh, invested in a, a decent Nikon camera and a couple of lenses and, you know, a tripod and a, a few of those other essentials. Um, but that's really about it. Okay. And um, how hard was it to learn photography? Did you start boning up on all kinds of things about depth of field and all those kinds of things? Or pretty much you just bought cameras and tried to focus it? No. Um, you know, learning about different you know, f-stops and the lighting and uh, lighting can be incredibly frustrating. And, and especially when you're, you're traveling and you're going after work and going somewhere and taking pictures of the landscape, you know, as it's becoming dusk, um, it can be really frustrating at times. Um, so, you know, it's something that you just kind of learn over time and uh, take a few practice snapshots and uh, make some adjustments and then you're, you're good from there. Okay, nice. And do you have? Do you put these up somewhere? Are you like on Mr. Instagram? <laughs> I, I'm not. So I, I downloaded Instagram, but I think it was at a, a time when, it, like, I downloaded probably five or six different social media things, and it was just <laughs> I'm like, this is just too much. One heavy I, night I of have, drinking. I have other guy. things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bad things happen, right? Um, so no, I, I have them loaded on my Facebook page. Uh, that seems to be kind of the staple for my social media. Um, so I have them loaded on there and, and, you know, I do that and I also keep track and keep in touch with all of my friends, uh, from the military. So, 
uh, it just seems like a good place to keep everything. Awesome. And so Jason, um, I find that uh, people that are interested in photography often step over into the land of drones. Have you made that jump yet? <laughs> I, I want to. Um, I haven't gotten the okay to do that yet, but I would love to do that. <laughs> Who All has right. to approve that? Uh, my wife, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, Just double checking. Good yeah. answer. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> uh, Amy recently got into droning, and I'm still waiting for overhead footage of horses in the wild. So one day that's going to show up here, oh, wow. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be great. No, I think that's the next thing that I want to get into and, and take a look at because um, it's definitely really cool. One of my friends had one, brought it over, and we flew it around the house and uh, instantly wanted one. You know, drones are a lot of fun to fly, but there's that, oh my goodness, there's this wad of cash that's floating around the air, and if I wreck it <laughs> and it burns, there goes all my money. <laughs> I know they need to have like a little parachute system or something for them to, to protect that investment as it's falling from the sky. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> or, or at least play some soothing music when you lose your drone. Well, this drone's not coming back, <laughs> but here's money, Tyler. Johan and I recently went to a festival and we were one of many people with drones. And of course there were fireworks at the end of the festival. And we opted to kind of be towards the back of the crowd to film the fireworks, but we saw somebody fly their drone into the fireworks and the drone didn't come out. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I imagine it made for some awesome footage, but I'm sure they never saw it. <laughs> There's a fair number of drones that have crashed into the Space Needle because why wouldn't you want to go film the top of the Space Needle? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, the rest is kind of self-evident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, asset and lifecycle management. Amy and I are both dying to know what what is it exactly? Yeah, um, so it's it's something most organizations are doing today at some level, right? If, if you think about it, it's you, you purchase this application, you're doing something to prepare that application for distribution into your environment, and then once that application gets there, you're managing the life cycle of that application. You know, you're uh, applying updates, whether it's a feature update or a security update, uh, and reporting on that. Uh, eventually, there'll be an upgrade to a newer version. Uh, you'll, you know, you can apply that up, upgrade as well. Uh, and then eventually, there comes a time when you need to retire that application. Uh, whether you're replacing that application with a different vendor or the product is end of life and uh, you're no longer going to support it within an organization. Okay. And I... <clears throat> I assume uh, managing licenses comes into that when you look at, at the whole, I guess, the, I guess it's not just licenses, correct? It's an entire life cycle. Yeah. So when you, when you look at it from a license standpoint, it's not just saying, okay, am I licensed for the software? Um, you know, when you look at the, the upgrade component of it, uh, some contracts that you have with vendors allow you to upgrade to the latest version as long as you're under maintenance. Uh, other vendors, you have to do an entirely new purchase. Um, and then, you know, you, you take into consideration um, other product use rights, like rights of second use, where you can install the software on two devices if you're the owner of both devices and still consume one license. Um, you know, that component of it 
is obviously uh, starts to add to the complexity of just the simplicity of, oh, hey, there's a new version of this app. Let's deploy it everywhere. So why is this so hard? Why is this a big deal thing that people have trouble doing well? What, what makes it so difficult? Well, there, there's a number of things that make it difficult. Um, probably the first thing is um, every software vendor is different. And even within software vendors, different titles and how they manage that is entirely different as well. Uh, so you have to become an expert in each of these software vendors and understand those use rights and understand how you can use them and uh, how you can use that to upgrade software. Uh, but then you also have software vendors rapidly, you know, releasing new versions of software. Um, so, you know, you see a widespread adoption of agile methodology. So software producers are, um, you know, releasing software at a much faster pace. And, you know, some of that is feature driven and others is driven uh, by security, so finding a, a software vulnerability, and they want to obviously close that vulnerability as quickly as they can. So I think it's the combination of those things, and then uh, you know finally just the volume of applications that any enterprise has uh, that makes that that a very challenging thing to manage. So if I've decided that I have something new that I want to bring to my organization, at what speed should I do it? What's 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 the best way to introduce something new then? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, obviously automation, right? Um, so having some type of uh, tool set in place that understands all of those those use rights and understands uh, what you own from a contract perspective, um, and then you know is able to also get that application prepared for deployment in a fast way, so that you can go and deploy it or you can present it to your users uh, through a self-service function. Is there a security risk if I take a long time to roll out something new to my organization? Uh, so depending on what that upgrade is, there absolutely could be, right? Um, so if it's something, especially if it's something that's a zero day vulnerability, you know, that uh, is, is in the news, you, you know that um, it's something that people are looking at. Uh, you look at things recently happened to like Equifax where, you know, there was an update that didn't get applied and now look what happened. So the importance of applying those updates rapidly is extremely important. Um, but at the same time, you have to make sure that you're doing that uh, within the confines of what you legally are allowed to do as well. Wait, how would you get out of compliance legally if you're just applying updates? Like uh, maybe well, you, you have to pay for the next major yeah. version or something and they're not giving you security right. unless you move to it? Yeah. So the, yeah, so this would be kind of an end of life thing. So if you're on a really, really old version of, of some software platform and, um, you know, there's some vulnerability that's out there, um, the software vendor's not releasing an update for it and you have to go to a new version in order to resolve that problem. Uh, a good example of that uh, is Microsoft actually, you know, released uh, updates for uh, Windows XP for, uh, you know, for a vulnerability that, uh, you know, was so rampant that they actually, you know, won against their end of life policy and released an update for it because it was that bad. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I got to say, having, um, having been talking to people about security now in the industry for a while, I have given up the practice of delaying updates until I felt like I wanted to. I'm like, eh, I better just apply the updates. And so 
that I, I don't want to wait 20 minutes <laughs> for something to install. I'm kind of like going the other way now because it's like, well, they're just, you know, it's it's the new way. You really can't count on being safe entirely anyways, but you're going to be safer if you're jumping on that stuff. And for an enterprise, that's a risk. That's a, a huge risk, right? Any breach is just massive. Yep. Yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, there's financial risks associated to that. Um, if you're in any sort of environment where you're, you know, doing payment card processing or um, you're hosting medical uh, medical files, and you have to fall under like HIPAA per se, then there's a, additional concerns as well, right? Um, so it's just it's really bad when uh, any of that happens. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's talk about. Windows 10 specifically. Um, what's new with Windows 10 that's making it uh, especially either easier or harder? And what are some of the uh, what are the, some of the, the challenges people are running into, and how are they solving them around managing uh, upgrading versions or replacing software with different vendors on Windows 10? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, you know the the migration from XP to Windows 7 was this monolithic thing. You know you had this army that you uh, consultants that you brought in it took it a lot of time and it had a huge impact on your environment and, and what we're seeing from uh, the adoption of windows 10 is uh, kind of a, sh a shift from that uh, we're seeing that many of the applications are already compatible uh, so you didn't have the, the huge app compat problem that you had it was much smaller much more focused and you know you have new options that are available to you to do like in place upgrades so the time it's taking to move to Windows 10 is much faster. And ultimately that means that, you know, the users um, you know, are able to get back and, and start working with their device faster. Uh, but there certainly still are challenges. Uh, so, you know, one of the challenges is you, you are still gonna upgrade software in some cases, right? You may move from uh, an older version of Office to a newer version. And in some cases you're also going to uh, change vendors. So you may change from WinZip to 7-Zip, just as an example. Uh, so, you know, finding solutions around um, actively identifying those applications and then dynamically uh, applying that updated version of software or that different software title uh, certainly will help you, uh, you know, adopt Windows 10, Windows 10 much faster. Right, right, right. And so Flixer does have some kind of solution in this area, right, that, that would help with that? Yes, we do. Yeah, so we have um, a self-service capability where um, you define the logic in the background. So, um, you know, we will we'll use our inventory information and say, okay, we've detected this old version of Office or we've detected this install of WinZip. And we know that when we apply Windows 10, we also want to upgrade that version of Office and replace WinZip with 7-Zip. Okay. That's awesome. So rationalization without having to do a lot of manual work on the back end. So yeah, um, yeah the rationalization occurs, um, you know, during the installation process. Okay, cool. So what can you tell me about uh, the BDNA acquisition? Um, who are they and what is it? Yeah, I mean, so that, you know, was a, a very, uh, very good surprise for all of us uh, at Flexera. And we openly uh, welcome BDNA into the, the team. Um, so BDNA uh, has built themselves as a, a data company, right? They have a 
ton of data and they have a, a, a lot of normalization around that data, both in the software and the uh, hardware asset space. Uh, I think they have something like 1.7 million uh, products within their, their catalog that they can normalize. Um, so it's, it's really, um, you know, from a data perspective, it's great. But then looking at where Flexera was going, uh, so Flexera has been working on this uh, data cloud. Uh, and it's the, it's the concept, the, the idea that uh, all of our research and all of our data uh, would be available in the cloud. And, uh, you know, Flexera products could use it, customers could use it, uh, and other software vendors can use it as well uh, to kind of empower their platforms. Uh, and, you know, with the acquisition of BDNA, we're able to do that much faster, uh, which is great. So can you list some of the specific kinds of data and use cases around it? Because it's uh, it would be really helpful for me to understand more clearly exactly what's there and how people are using it, if you could get a little more narrow on a few examples. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so historically we've uh, worked in the software asset space um, and, you know, probably within the last few years we've moved into the security space. Uh, managing like uh, vulnerabilities, for example. Um, and then over this last year, we expanded out the vulnerability piece and, and started adding uh, open source content, being able to uh, look at uh, products and identify what uh, open source um, libraries they're using, but also analyze source code and tell you what open source software um, you're using internally uh, from your own developer. So that, that's you know what we had Kind of today going into this integration with uh, BDNA. Okay. And now, now that we have BDNA, we're expanding that out to enterprise architecture, you know, projects and portfolio management, IT service management, procurement, and IT financial management. So how would that work with say procurement? I guess I'm. I get, can you give me a use case example to help understand the how this how this comes together? Yeah, so I mean, from a procurement standpoint, uh, you know, one of the the elements that you're doing as a procurement person is you're managing life cycles of assets, right? We talked earlier about software asset life cycle management, but hardware asset life cycle management feeds into that as well. And there's so many, if you look at just raw inventory data for hardware or software, that data is going to take you a long time to kind of just filter down and normalize. And an interesting point that we found from uh, the BDNA folks is that organizations that try to do that on their own are only about, they're effective for about 12% of their data. Um, So you have the other 88% of their data that they're not effectively normalizing. They don't know what to do with it. They're either ignoring it or it's just noise sitting there. Uh, So what we're doing with this data is we're we're taking all that raw inventory, they're going through a process process called mashup where we're taking all of these different inventory sources and we're normalizing that all together so we can present that back to uh, that procurement person so they can see end of life data for their devices they can see um, you know upcoming contract renewals for um, their their software products and they can see it you know all through something consumable uh, and they don't have to go through kind of that effort on their own Okay, great. That does help. That does help me to understand. And <clears throat> so you're shifting to a largely open platform. What exactly do you get, do you mean by that? 
Yeah, um, so for a long time, um, you know, we've been able to use our own data across products and, you know, we've kind of built this integration uh, among our own products. And to some extent, we've, you know, done that with some other providers. Uh, for, for instance, like if you look at an ITSM platform, we're able to feed normalized data into the ITSM platform. Um, but what we're seeing is that we have other software vendors and we have uh, other partners that want to be able to access uh, that normalization data in like our libraries, like our product use rights library and our application recognition libraries uh, to empower their applications and their capabilities. Uh, so we want to be able to enable that. Um, so that, that's the reason for the open platform. All right. So in hearing open platform, though, it makes me a little bit nervous. Can you can you help me understand that just what kind of security risks there may or may not be in mm -hmm. having an open platform where everyone can share data? Yeah, so when, when we talk about an open platform, so what we're, what we're not talking about is we're not talking about taking your uh, company's inventory data, uploading it to our cloud and making it accessible to everyone, right? So uh, Flexera and BDNA both have research teams that are developing normalization content. So this is application recognition content you know, SKU libraries, product use rights libraries, vulnerability information. And so that's the data that we're talking about making uh, available in an open, uh, an open platform concept. All right. Do you find that people are, are generally wanting to know more about security in, in platforms? Yes. Um, so the security component of it, uh, there's, there's definitely a huge, um, kind of hunger for it, if you will, um, not only from a, a vulnerability standpoint of saying, okay, there's this vulnerability, you know, this is the rating of this vulnerability, but what does that mean to my organization, right? Just because it's, you know, this high critical vulnerability um, released by NIST, for example, that may have no impact on my, my organization. Um, so I wanna be able to very quickly identify how that impacts my organization and then, uh, you know, have a plan to be able to respond to that. Additionally, for companies that are developing their own software, which, you know, more and more and more you see every software or every company is a software company at some level, right? They're developing apps internally. They're developing apps externally for their, uh, their customers to access and use. Uh, so, you know, what risks are they introducing by leveraging like open source components that may or may not be secure. Um, and being able to identify that, know that, so when a vulnerability comes in for that open source component, they know exactly how it impacts uh, what they're producing. Okay, that's awesome. So it gets pretty deep. Yes, it does. Anything else you would add on security? We've we've kind of covered we've kind of covered both ends I suppose the desktop and the cloud. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean from a security standpoint, I mean even having access to all this data, um, if you're not doing anything with it, then it, it's kind of pointless, right? It's it's like somebody pointing at your house and saying, "Hey, look, your house is burning down." But if you're not doing anything about it, your house is still going to burn down to the foundation. Um, so it's taking the action to you know put out that fire. <clears throat> Uh, is what's going to save save your home. 
<laughs> yeah, you know, this, this reminds me of when I worked in IT. It often felt like I was pointing at houses that were on fire and people were like, oh, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is the guy who's pointing at the fire. Anyway, sorry, that's <laughs> one of many reasons I no longer do that. I admire people who hang in there with that job. So, but that makes a lot of sense. You, you, you need to have this intelligence and be able to act on it. Right. Um, so let's just recap here on the things we've talked about. Flexera offers a number of solutions. If you wouldn't mind, just just uh, you know lay out for us what you guys offer in these different areas, and then we'll point people to your uh, your website, which is is Flexera Software still, or is Flexera dot com now? It's uh, it's Flexera dot com. So you you know you can save on some typing uh, while you're there. So that's, that's great. <laughs> Sweet. And, I'm looking forward um, to it. <laughs> Yeah, and I also have, I think I sent you a, a link to a slide share that kind of talks about the uh, the the integration of BDNA with Flexera and what that looks like and how you'll see why we're so excited. Um, so yeah, I think that that's good. From the products that we talked about today, I mean, you know, Abbott Studio has been around for a really long time. We've recently added um, some PowerShell wrapping capabilities to just really be able to get applications through that platform as fast as possible and get them deployed. Uh, from the software asset management space, of course, we have FlexSet Manager. Um, that's going to manage all of the complexity around your contracts and, you know, the inventory and, and everything that you have in your environment so you know what you have and normalize all that data back to you. And then from the self-service standpoint, uh, we have the App Portal and App Broker uh, products, which uh, allow self-service either directly through the FlexSera interface or uh, from your IPSM platform. So if you're using something like um, ServiceNow or BMC, but you want to still have all this automation in the background, uh, we can plug in to enable that as well. Okay, fantastic. Um, Amy, any questions for Jason in the would you rather category? Oh, I've got a good one. Are you ready, Jason? <laughs> I don't know, I'll, I'll try. <laughs> all right, so you've just become a billionaire, but don't cheer just yet. You're a billionaire who just has a really big heart for enterprise technology. So. As a billionaire, are you going to invest in new technology that's poorly made and unknown if it'll actually change enterprise field, you know, for the better? Or would you rather invest in old technology that's well made, but you still don't know if it's a good investment or not? Oh, wow. Um, I would say new technology. Uh, and the reason for that with old technology, you have years and years and years of development development baggage that you're gaining that you just you're not going to know what you you know don't know until you kind of look behind the curtain uh, at least with new technology you know that problem would be kind of isolated all right yep Good that answer. makes sense yeah you know you know too much about the realities of code if a, if a product has been on the market for 20 years there is somewhere in there 20 year old code yeah yeah why is this written in cobalt <laughs> Yes, exactly. Okay, thank you so much for joining us, Jason. Um, you have a great – What? it's actually afternoon where you are now, so you have a great afternoon, and thank it you, is. Amy. Have a great afternoon also. Bye, oh, Thank you very much. Thank bye, you, guys. Thanks. Bye.